That's, that's another guy we need to get. Uh, I know Kurt Cobain. I'm not that old. But... No, that's not what I. That's not what I meant. <laughs> it's funny that I have a Kurt Cobain photo. Speaking what of gr- Kruk, though, that's another guy we need to get on our podcast. Mike Kruko from the Giants. Down. Hilarious. Anyway. He's hilarious. Yeah. That's a great I way to start. Him, start I lived this in the World Park in '88. Uh, yeah. It was a gas. Yeah, we had fun. <laughs> All right. Well, what an awesome intro to the number ninety-six Cutter Nation podcast. John Sintez, Cass Kreitlow, our guest Larry Sorensen. But first. Please go rate, review, smash that like button on YouTube. This is live on YouTube right now. If anybody is out there and wants to let subscribe or anything, it'll help us. We've got awesome shirts, hats, all kinds of cool apparel. And if you use the code CutterNation, you get 10% off PitchLogic, which is awesome because today our guest, Larry Sorensen, my friend, co-worker, uh, confidant, uh, Larry, um, Larry, help the people understand. First of all, not only <laughs> that, was almost, that was almost the best intro I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so Larry, you, you do so much. Larry. You do so much. Let's start oh, from the beginning, man. right? You're a professional baseball player slash yeah. little, little league American legend. Take us from there and then tell everybody everything you do because you're as busy as we are. <laughs> baseball lifer, man, is what I really am. I just I just can't get enough of the game of baseball. I think it's special. From the time I was eight years old, I wanted to be a professional baseball player, and I wanted Ernie Harwell's job in Detroit uh, broadcasting the Tigers and ended up doing both by, like, the time I was 40. But stayed around the game in broadcasting, went to work for ESPN after I retired, and uh, and – did the Tigers broadcast for five years, and now I uh, live in North Carolina, and I broadcast the Wake Forest University football and baseball games. Somehow got uh, hooked over to the football side as an analyst there, because basically because I could throw the ball 65 yards in high school, you know, so I was a quarterback, I guess. Um, reason reason I wanted to be quarterback is because our quarterback was dating the prettiest girl in school. So I figured, okay, I'll try football if you say so. <laughs> But uh, that's the synopsis of the life, you know, just around baseball as much as I can be. I think it's it's just ballet to me, watching guys play the game. Um, the cat and mouse game of pitcher-hitter, that challenge is so much fun. What's What to me is really great about the professional game in particular is that you see guys time after time after time, and you have to adjust to figure out ways to get them out. You can't just say, I throw 95, you're a fastball hitter, we'll do this you know, 65 times against each other and see how it comes out. It's making those adjustments. I didn't have great stuff. I mean, I have very average uh, stuff. And so it was always a matter of trying to figure out something a little bit different, change speeds, change angles, change something to give him a different look and uh, basically let him get himself out. Yeah. Uh, so you already went into something. My brain's off to the races. Um, and, and this is something I'm not sure you and I have talked about. Maybe we have a little bit. Um, we talk about sequencing and and how to teach it at an earlier age than than what most kids are um, taught these days. I, it's a travesty. I, I feel like we we've got kids running all the way to 17, 18 years old and have never even called one pitch in their entire yeah. game. Um, with your experience, now you were a sinker slider guy, right? I think we talked about that. And then uh, did you you had a little bit of a change up too, right? Anything else? I no, I threw well <laughs> towards the end. You name it, I threw it. Yeah, I mean, I was knuckleballing, I was sidearming, I was uh, cutting the ball, I was doing everything I could to it uh, the last couple of years. I, you know, I threw so many innings early on in my career, and I was one of those rubber arm guys that they talk about. And so you know, even in the minor leagues, they would use me in relief between starts. I was looking at my rookie season in Newark, New York, and I had like 13 appearances, and I think I was 8-2 and two or something with five saves. or six and two with five saves. You know, it was just crazy because I was still throwing relief in between. And through 281 innings as a rookie, my first full season in the big leagues, through 281 innings, and that changes your arm slot a little bit, you know. Welcome uh, welcome to go, the show, huh? Yeah, yeah, after you go through that. I had, I had a relief appearance that year in between starts. So That's an early. Yeah, I, I could, it, it changed things, and, and I really wish I'd have had the opportunity to see the things that you can see now 
with the technology and everything that's out there. But back you get back to sequencing, yeah, it was pitches, but how are you going to use them? You know, are you, are you going to start guys off? Which one are you going to start them off with? And my whole theory on it was the best pitch in baseball strike one because then it's in my house. You know, then then I've got him guessing instead of narrowing it down on me. I threw the changeup uh, basically just enough so that the advanced scout would say he'll throw a change to right or left. You know, I wasn't always that concerned about getting a strike with it. I used it in spots where it wouldn't hurt me so that it was in their mind that I had three pitches because now they're thinking of three things instead of two things. And then when I learned how to do some different things with the baseball, it meant that they had to think about four or five things instead of just the two things. Yeah, I love that. That's exactly um, what I was brought up on with that idea is like, you know, uh, different looks, different spin, different yeah. speeds, different heights, locations, you know, almost as random, you know, as, as it seems, but still some form of, you know, sequence to that would make sense to to the game for what we see it. Um, you know what's really interesting, though, John, is, is that you talk about that and we make it sound like it's so precise. Yeah. And yet you think back to when you're watching a game and you see the catcher that's setting up low and away and he reaches up over here to catch the ball. You know, you're missing your target by that much. Yeah. And it happened in my day. It happened every year until today. And it still happens in games today. You know, you watch guys that miss their target by two or three feet and you wonder how it can happen, but it happens. It happens at the highest level. It happens all the time, right? Like um, misses. Um, uh, we, I tell this story that's that's very interesting. I saw Kershaw um, miss in warmups and like hit a lady in the face from like two hundred feet out, um, and then I was just completely, you know, impressed by his composure because like he definitely saw it and kind of reacted a little bit, but still pulled the ball out of his back pocket because he knew he had like eleven minutes to get going till the game started, you know, and and so his mental fortitude to be able to go in and then just lock in and then goes like eight shut right after that. I was like, goodness. Well, you know, we talked about that a little bit yesterday. We talked about um, recovering from failure, you know, and how you bounce back after things go south. And I just made contact in this age of technology and reaching out to people is so amazing. I talked to a guy named Barry Bonnell, who I hit in the face with a fastball. Right. I was only two, 23 years old and I hit him in the face and fractured his eye socket. He was out like two months and really kind of wasn't the same kind of hitter after that. And he was a really good hitter as you know, it just and the two hitters afterwards, I think I walked the next guy and was like two and oh on the next guy. And they came and took me out because that was such a frightening moment. But as time went on and you learned how to deal with adversity and you learned how different things. You started learning what you needed to make those adjustments, and and you let you let your uh, memories and experience take over a little bit. Yeah, I, I don't think I ever hit anybody in the face um, in in uh, in pro ball, but I do remember college just light. You know, we were in college, we had those huge seams, and it was just two seams inside to everybody, and it was just not my pitch. And I just remember freshman year, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, my first year at the university that I was at when I was throwing over the top. And I mean, I think I hit like 28 people or something like that. And every time I hit it, my coach would be like, good, good job. Way to get in there. And I'm like, yeah. what are we doing? Like, okay. So essentially you were clueless is what it amounted to. Yeah, I'd exactly. like to and tell me if you've ever seen this before. I just got down inside a little bit, you know, and I was trying to throw a sinker, got under it and it just kept, it followed. Sure. It. it was like slow motion too, you know, yeah. just them all the way into bam. Totally. Um, <laughs> just saw it. Just saw it run in. That's yeah. terrible. Oh. You know, I have a plate in my face. John, yeah. you know that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got hit in the face watching a kid that I was coaching. Oh. Just like well, an we idiot. We bring up some happy memories for you. Yeah, <laughs> I, no, I had a comeback in the face uh, from Niger Morgan. Hit me right in the face in Mexico. Smoked me. Split her up. Split the, her off the plate. Played tennis. I, I was it. saying this yesterday. I don't know if you heard me saying this yesterday, John. Um, the John Carlos Stanton thing is uh, that's so atrocious. Like, yeah. because that just shows how un like Stanton doesn't know what he's doing with that bat. Like Miguel Cabrera's not hitting you know his pitcher in the face. Like, oh my goodness, that's crazy. Like that right? That wasn't like a a very competitive 
I was kind of like, I'm throwing you pitches to see it. Yes, no. I mean, like, I got a weird vibe out of that. Yeah, I know. I've thrown pitches to guys, and the guy that really comes to mind is Dave Winfield. You know, 6'7", 240, 250. And I threw him pitches, and and I got to hear, and I said, oh, man, if you swing, please don't hit it up the middle, you know, because I knew something was going to go terribly wrong. With the, with the whole rest of that sequence if he swung. And sure enough, he'd start to swing and he'd start cringing, you know. Just don't hit it up the middle. Just don't hit it up the middle. Hit it 480 feet to left field. Don't hit it up the middle. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Like the prof- I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a professional hitter. Um, so it's really hard to say this. But it seems to me, based on the professionals that I've talked to, that there's the good ones do have that control. Right. Where it's like, hey, I'm going to go oppo, oppo, oppo. I mean, that's where like Votto talks about trying to hit it in the opposite field dugout as part of a routine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, but I just don't know how competitive that pitch was. I, in that I, moment, I think so. they can do that in BP. I don't, I'm not so sure that they can do that live. I mean, they've got a plan if it's, if it's away, if it's breaking ball, middle down away. Yeah. I'm going to right field and Cabrera is probably as good as anybody. Deep right. Right. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. But you look at his power numbers; he's still hitting a bunch of jacks to left too. So, right, they're yep. just they're different human different. beings. I don't, I don't see Ex- exactly, exactly. But I had a I, okay. I, I'm curious about the the 281 or whatever it was in your rookie year, because um, I'm over here going like, what's that? I want to know more what, what you actually had to go through physically, mentally to like grind through that. Or was it not a grind? When was it like, get, get me into that a little bit more. Well, I mean, I was 22 years old, you know, I wasn't that bright at 22. They said, you go pitch and you stay out there. And our bullpen was a little sketchy. And uh, we had a guy named Mike Caldwell, little left-hander named Mike Caldwell, who I roomed with. So if, if you can believe this, he had 291 in it. So in our room, we had 580 innings, or 570 innings. We had 40 wins. He was 22 and 9. I think I was 18 and 12. We had uh, 40 wins. We had 40 complete games. And we had a four-man rotation, basically. They used seven guys to fill the four-man rotation. But he and I were running out there every fourth day. And it's just what you did. And didn't know any better. I don't know if it was that year or the next year. I had eight complete games in a row. I mean, it, eight complete games in a row. I went six and two in the course of that. It's just what you did. I mean, our manager was great, a guy named George Bamberger. He was from Staten Island, New York. And uh, he was the guy that coached the 420 game winners in Baltimore, Palmer, McNally, Cuellar, and Pat Dobson. So he came over as our manager. And he'd come, he'd come waddling out to the mound, and his feet stuck out like this, and he'd come waddling out like the penguin, and he'd say, good luck. And he turned and he'd walk back. I'd say, you're supposed to be this great pitching coach. All you got for me is good luck. You know, come on, man. Another time That's he hilarious. came out he said, another time he came out and he said, I know you're tired and you don't have crap, but you're better than the crap I got sitting out there, so go get them. <laughs> you know, and that was it. That was your option. You just, okay, what so are we going to throw here? Were you on yeah, a four-man like, rotation or, or five? What's that? Were you on a four-man oh, rotation or five? Four. Basically four. 36 starts. So you were saving in between. What day were you able to throw? And was it like, did it turn into a save start day? Because that gives you only three days to, like, do something. Yeah, it's three days to do something. And essentially all I did see – and Cal McClish was my pitching coach. And, uh, you know, John, I think I've told you this before, but Cal was a Native American from uh, Oklahoma. Calvin Coolidge, Julius Caesar, Tuscahoma McClish. All right. And he wouldn't say crap if he had a mouth full of it. Okay. So I got silent Cal on the one hand, and I got George that's dropping F bombs every third word on the other hand. But in my head, it all came together in different ways, you know, because I'm 22 trying to be a sponge to absorb everything that I can. So there are two different ways of communicating were really effective. And then I had Caldwell, who was from North Carolina and a competitor to the max throwing a little 88-mile-an-hour sinker that uh, occasionally had some extra help. And, and you know, he's just turning it over, and we were both sinker ballers. So everything I listened to from those two guys, from those three guys, just helped me to the max. 
so I mean, is are you throwing through pain? Like, what is what is that well, like? You always throw through pain. You always throw through pain. I mean, it, it just always hurt. I expected it to hurt. You know, in college, where would you they hurt? gave us butylidine, which is what they give horses. You know, it's a horse track. Wait, horse. wait, wait, say that again. What? Butylidine. Look it up. <laughs> horse it tranquilizer. Up. Yeah, it's yeah, it's amazing stuff, and it was go get it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So it was just different times. But yeah. so the, but what Cal said to me was that I had strikes built into my delivery, okay? So I averaged 2.08 walks per nine inning, give or take a percentage point or so, you know. Yeah. 2.08 walks per nine. So I wasn't striking anybody out, but I wasn't walking anybody. And strikes were built into my delivery. So I wasn't working on my locations or anything else. And I went 18 and 12. So things were pretty successful so you're not going to mess a lot with success you know as time went on i started using bullpens a lot differently but the first couple of years i won 53 games or something in in three and a half years in milwaukee and uh so we didn't tinker with a heck of a lot at that time it was just get your touch and feel in make sure your arm and we knew my that the arm was strong because i was throwing i think 235 or something was the least innings i threw up there so how many um, how many pitches would you have in a start? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. What a great what a great answer. Yeah, the back. Way to go. How many did I throw? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so yeah. how many sliders did I throw? I don't know. <laughs> Take me through uh, your four-day work workload. Let's say you start day one, you throw un unlimited pitches, which I can't wait to ask you about it. the other story you told me about your college experience because Cass is going to freak out on that one too. But, okay, so you start, you throw unlimited pitches. Next day, what, what are we feeling? What's the body like on day after? Let's, let's try to get some soreness out. You know, let's try to get the blood moving, get some soreness out. So get a good work day in. And, and back then for us, it was mostly cardio. You know, it was running and there was no weightlifting involved back then. Uh, and now we're talking 78, you know, 70, 77 to 88 is when I played. And so it was just get everything moving, throw some, play some catch to, you know, stretch it out just a little bit. But let's try to work the soreness out. The second day was your work day, but that was essentially a, a 10 to 15 minute bullpen, if that. And and a part of it was spent more on talking who was next. Because back then we faced a lot of teams back to back too, you know. So you, you'd pitch against the Yankees and then you'd go face the Yankees at their place and you'd see them two games in a row. And so that's where that cat and mouse, let's change things up a little bit. I mean, I got Reggie Jackson out with fastballs away. In Milwaukee, I better try to show him something in. Or you might say, I don't want to try to go in on him in New York because it's short down the line. So I'm going to go in on him in Milwaukee and try to get him out of the way when we get to New York. Love it. So you're factoring in your stadium and yeah. your environment, right? The ball flies in both places, really. I mean, I don't remember. Well, when he hit him, they flew pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Cleveland, it was it was another one of those. Uh oh, I'm in trouble. Pull it. <laughs> and it was like 1.2 seconds off the facing of the second deck and back towards the infield. You know, I barely had time to see where it landed because I wanted to see how far it went. You know, that's that's awesome. So uh, I'm assuming that day two is probably the bull, ten minute bullpen day is probably the only day that you would be hot to get an inning or get a save. Yeah. Did, did they yeah. ever reach outside that or did they, is no, that pretty much the only? No, and, and they tried They tried not to do that too much. Um, later on, I started doing more where I was a swing man. Uh, Oakland went into panic mode. In spring training, we lost five games and they were ready to fire the manager in spring training because we lost five in a row. And they went into panic mode and put me in the bullpen and, and it was swing man. And it was like, okay, if, if you relieve Tuesday, you're going to start Friday. If you don't pitch Tuesday, but we pitch you Wednesday, you'll pitch either Saturday or Monday. And, you know, being that swing man is just a ridiculous job. Nobody has much success doing that. Yeah, I, I did that in Mochi's one year. I was the closer yeah, I starter. <laughs> I mean, I survived. 
You know yeah. what I mean? But I definitely remember being the season being over. I'm like, man, I'm tired. Like, I give me like the give me every day. Pitch, you know, but yeah, let's go. It's well, a lot a winner. being on that four or five man rotation where, you know, day one, you do this. Day two, you do that. Day three, you do that. Day four, you cut it back. Day five, you go nine. So on your uh, your catch play uh, on your days, how, how far out are you going each day? Do you have a are you on the line? Are you controlling it? You know, I I would I would long toss some, but not a lot because I always felt that, especially because you were generally always sore. So I felt like if I was trying to throw more, much more than sixty to hundred feet, I was changing what I did to do it. You know, I was starting to get down here so that I could get the elevation to get it 150 feet. And that was as much a physical thing as anything else. But I'm a big believer in repeatability of, of the uh, delivery and doing the same thing over and over, and that's what gets you the consistency. So I, I like trying to use the same delivery. And, and although you can't, I try and believe you should try to do it the same way every time, unless you're the kind of guy that is going to go from three different arm slots but there aren't very many, very many guys being successful doing that. Yeah. I, I think the way we try to say um, the repeat, repeatability would be repeating the timing. It might be easier for you to control the timing of what you're doing yeah. um, rather than the exact positioning of it. Right. Um, and you know, I guess it's, it's probably tomato, tomato a little bit too. For sure. I mean, if the timing's right, you're in the right slot, you know, and if you're concentrating on slot, you're getting your timing together. So it, it could be chicken in the egg. It could be tomato, tomato. We'll yeah, I, I, it's definitely however anybody interprets it, right? For what you're saying. Well, it goes well, here. I'll, 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 I'll offer just like I don't think it has to be either or either. I, I think it's like you you were at a point in your life where you had already done the long toss. Yeah. Right. You know. So when you were a kid, you were probably throwing everything. Remember when you threw that 65 yard football bomb? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't throw a football 35 yards. Like I'm so bad at throwing a football and I would be so much better at it if I really threw a lot of things, if I threw more things, right? So you're talking about a guy towards the end of his prime, right? Literally, and you're going to do anything that you possibly can to be as sharp as you can for the most specific thing ever. You know what I mean? So we're training something much more global. Right. Where um, we see like long toss provides an opportunity for kids who don't know how to reach back and rip it. Right. That exposes them. Right. Mm-hmm. You knew how to reach back and rip it, but you, that just wasn't appropriate for where you were at. So yeah. I, that, that's how I would think about that if somebody was going to have that conversation. You know, and, and what you said when you when you first started off about uh, about not being an either or. I think that applies so much to what baseball is going through now and we've got so many outlets to so many different things and there are so many people that get locked into my way is the right way you need to do it this way that's the only way that's going to work and do that and it's not and you know Hobbs and we talked about with Matt Hobbs the uh in the interview that we did with him we talked about he said uh David Rankin the the uh, guy that founded Pitch Logic F5 Sports when, when we first went to Wake Forest, he said, how many, you know, what are your top five problems? And Hobbs said, I've got 16 sets of five biggest problems because each guy's unique. Each guy has to be approached differently. Each guy has to be analyzed and looked at and needs to work on different things. He said, just because this guy does it perfectly mean doesn't mean I can't work on it with that guy and have to work on it with that guy. And I, I think maybe the proliferation of, of all the technology that we've got gets us a little bit locked into one thing too much. I worry about that to tell you the truth. Yeah. I was just, so I think that um, we really need to start realizing that it's actually more of the collection. That's the most important thing. And I'm realizing this as a coach that it's not important for us to talk about this information on the surface. It really is not. And it can be almost like a meeting in a presentation of here are your trends. This is your patterns of how you're doing it. Because if we're doing our job, we're adjusting our movements and, and the drills that we have kids do based on the information that we're seeing. Um, and so I, I really think that the end of this is going to be 
um, you know, the player needs to really take the numbers away from the training standpoint for a lot of things. Radar gun readings are not that. That is a completely different thing, yeah. right? Um, but, I, you know, there's there's lines that need to be drawn with the technology. It's obvious because I'm sitting here going, well, then I kind of want spin efficiency too, right? But 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 the point is taken like I was we were talking to Arnel Aguinaldo, who does the marker biomechanics lab down at Point Loma. And, um, you know, it's like, oh, that could kind of be better in ways. But there's you know, there's drawbacks of that. And then there's benefits of marker lists and there's benefits. So there's all of these things. And it becomes real obvious that we just need to get as much data into the system as possible. So the people that know the best at the top, the authorities in every single piece of this, whether it's the physical therapists, the doctors, the surgeons, whatever, they have information that better informs how we're going to teach the movements and how we're going to teach the game in the future yeah. to handle this stuff. So it, I don't think it's so important that we think about, are we using this data perfectly today? It's are you collecting it today? Yeah. And are you getting that to a source that actually can build that somewhere? And I think that's important. And understanding it today too, because you know it gets confusing out there. And, and John and I talk about this all the time. It's one of the things that I like about Pitch Logic is that it is so simple and you can start at an early age. And because of the way uh, kids learn today and the generation learns today, you know, they learn differently and they understand, they understand different things faster. Uh, you know, it's one of the things that I think is concerning to me, too, is that because of the way sometimes we teach and because of the way sometimes we coach, we get into it's you have to learn all that and we forget you still have to play the game. And I remember being in AAA in Albuquerque. I was getting my brains beat in, you know, and I'm looking to the dugout. I figured you got to come at some point. We're down eight and a third. You know, you got to get out here. So he, John Felsky was our manager and he came walking out and he was a big guy with this really deep voice. And he says, you probably think I'm going to take you out. Don't you? I said, I was kind of hoping. And he said, let me tell you something. We don't care if you win or lose. We care that you get 110 pitches throws in and how you, and how you do and how you handle it. He said, at this level, you got to get your work in. He said, when you get to the next level, which you're going to be doing shortly, he told me this on the mound. He said, when you get to the next level, which you're going to be doing shortly, they don't care how you threw. Did you win? Did you lose? Period. It's all they care about. It's changed. That's changed. Because now if you have three or five successful innings, your job's done. You've been successful at your job. And you move on. And, yeah, there is a team loss and guys feel bad. But I think that that attitude of I got to hang on with everything I've got to win has, has disappeared just a little bit. That's just my opinion. But no, I totally agree. And But I also think it's been for so many reasons, right? Like I think that even just like we don't understand movement. We don't understand the body enough to understand what was happening with guys like you that could yeah. actually do it, right? Yeah. There's value to that. You know, this is what I always say about John is like, he's, it's, he is the fact that he isn't seen. It's so silly to me. Like there's such, he could actually throw that many innings. No problem. Like he can do these kind of things and they don't realize that that's such a huge, important thing. And he can do the things of playing the game because he can stay healthy enough. Right. Yeah. So it's like their information of how to actually do that has been so poor and it's also been restrictive. Right. So it's been poor and restrictive. People started getting hurt. They didn't know why. And then they just pull back. Right. And and I don't know who said it, but it's like it's the only thing where you think um, less is going to get you more like throw less. Oh, it was yeah. a Kyle Wagner thing, I think. It's like that's crazy. <laughs> right. And so there's been so many things like my, my buddy Weston is, you know, attacking the not attacking. He's he's doing good research against the, the protocol for return to throw programs after Tommy John surgery. Right. And it's like this this information hasn't been tested or, or challenged in uh, not maybe I don't know enough, but like, let's just say it hasn't been challenged enough. We got thousands of players having Tommy John on an annual basis coming back and what are they doing? And it's just like, cut out, cut out, you know, here you go. This is what everybody's supposed to yeah. do and it hasn't been challenged. So there's a lot of that stuff where I go, 
these players that you're I don't know what else to say besides it's a completely different game for so many freaking reasons. No question about that. You know, back to the throwing for a second, you know, Bamberger's big thing was the best way to build throwing muscles is to throw, you know, and now we understand so much more about the throwing process that we're able to devise drills that simulate the throwing that activate and and use the same muscle. Do we though? Do we? Because I don't know, man, like you guys move pretty damn well. And the only difference is we're like, we got some horsepower, but you guys might've moved a lot better than us. I'll tell you, you know, it's funny. It's funny that the 78 all-star game was on TV and my phone blew up the other day because I threw three innings in the all-star game. Right. And I watched it after somebody told me it was coming on and I did everything so unspectacularly normally I mean, pitches that looked to me like they were just down the middle and guys are popping them up and grounding them out. And it was just so routine. It, it just blew me away that there was nothing special about the nine outs against four Hall of Famers, you know. And, and I looked at the movements and stuff and started thinking, if they put me on today's reg- uh, regiment of, of how we test and do everything, what would the numbers have come out to? You know, what would, what would people today look at my delivery and say? And you guys ought to do that. Go back and look it up on YouTube. Take well, this is what I'm this is what I'm really noticing right now. I think this is a really simple distinction for people. When you're focusing on the movement or you're focusing on pitching, okay, you can focus on the feel of executing that. When you focus on a velocity, you confuse that with effort. Okay. And so people think that trying harder will immediately be better. But too often, people try harder and they move more poorly. And and so, like, players in your generation would have a – you, you already said it, touch and feel, right? You were given the freedom to figure out what the hell worked for you. Unfortunately, yeah. there hasn't been better advisors, right? So the marriage is let the players be independent like you got, right? The experience of your youth childhood and how you got to play games, and like that's the right kind of foundation, right? And then once we get to that level, you, you talked about it. Those managers were appropriate for you at the time yeah. of life, but that's not the best. You want leaders that like are assertive and show you, like get you there faster, get you, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, and that's also what makes you a professional, right? So there's this counter to the old style way was just like you were put in a position where you you got built up no matter what because you were just like tough as nails and that's what got you to be a professional. So, and now it's, I don't know. I, I, start, I start talking in circles because it, it is so cool to think about where movement came, where movement comes yeah. from and then how the coaching dynamic is. And then we're talking about the players and you know, there's so many levels to this game and so sexy, isn't it? Well, one of the things that strikes me is, yeah, that's sexy. All right, we'll go with that. One of the things that strikes me as I've traveled around to the major league organizations with pitch logic is that you go in and, and you talk to guys and you start talking about one particular guy and they say, yeah, but he's just a little bit abnormal in this way, you know, and then you start taking, okay, well, what about that guy? And they say, yeah, well, he does something nobody else really does and he does it that way. You know, and and being able to have the 30,000 foot view that we've had for the last year and a half as we've talked to all these different teams is really strange. And Brian Price from the Phillies uh, was in Winston-Salem and he he said, well, what was the thing that made you the best? And I said, I was willing to tackle a guy round in third base to keep him from scoring. That's what I did the best, you know. And the other thing that I did the best was I threw from the two hole to the six hole and had Yountain Molitor up the middle. And that made me really smart because I could throw a ground ball that stayed in the middle of the diamond. And if it didn't hit me, one of those guys was throwing somebody out. So that's how I got to be a good pitcher. But everybody's just so much different. Everybody's got their strengths and weaknesses. And we talk about that all the time, man. Know what you do well. Make sure you do that well as often as possible. And keep working on those things that you don't do well. So the uh, it makes me wonder, right? How do you get someone to hit the ball like that when you're pitching? What do you, where do you where do you throw the ball? How do you spin the ball? You you try to just get them that little bit off balance, and whether it's with speed or with location or whatever it may, may be. Cass, you talked about trying a little bit less. I never wanted to be a hundred percent when I pitched, 
because every time I was, I overthrew, it flattened out, and I got my butt kicked, you know, because I was saying, I'm going to throw it by you today, and that wasn't my game. My game was not throwing it by you. Those 280 winning, 81 innings that I pitched, I struck out 78 guys in 281 innings, okay? I walked 50. So my whip was just over one, a little bit over one, because in the in the home run, I threw 14 home runs in 280 innings. That's crazy. So, you know, so I was giving up solos when I did give up home runs. I gave up two salamis in my in the 10 years that I pitched. And it, my game was all throw strikes and, and make sure that any damage that's done is minimal damage. Well, this is what I also think that I think there's like perception to this, right? So you have the, before we have like video and technology, you have just the, the experiences, right? And you're talking about the feeling of not overdoing it will yeah. actually often create the max effort throw. Right. And that if you stay within yourself, right, you won't become a pull off front side guy. Craziest so as- thing in the history of sports. Stay within yourself. And it makes so much sense. Right. Right. And so what's what what obviously happens is I, I, I remember I'm pretty self-aware. Right. So I, I remember being at the ABCA three years ago and Augie Garrido's on stage and he goes, it's so great to be at the ACBA. <laughs> and you go, man, it's hilarious. And also it tells you where he's at, yeah. right? <clears throat> and, and, and that's okay. And what an unbelievable experience to see him talk. But then you go, okay, the things that everybody says are, they have these one-liners. It's all about the balance, right? It's just getting people off balance. And, and you realize as you go, I know that I'm supposed to get this and I don't actually get it. When they say it's all about the relationships, when he's screaming at them, don't you get this? It's not about the game. It's about your goddamn lives. You know, um, that's yeah. hilarious because it's yeah. so true and it, and it makes so much sense. Um, and it takes so long to get that, right? And I think what the my generation of coaches have to recognize is that you cannot come into these conversations like arrogantly when it comes to those phrases and the things you have to decrypt them for people. You have to uncode them for people. You can't tear them down because it's, it's just, it's, it's not recognizing where it came from. So it's both, right? It's being innovative, right? And using new things like a pitch logic ball, but also sharing, like maintaining these stories and these phrases and helping them make sense because those are the things that are going to be said at the little leagues, right? Those nope. are going to be the things that are said uh, yeah, exactly. So you providing some answers to those things, I think, is what my generation screws up. Is there's there's too much like, oh, they don't know anything. It's like so anyway. The the marriage between these two, I think, is is the bridge that needs to happen. Well, I I think it's the most essential, and I go back to our alumni functions, you know. And I played for seven teams, so there's a lot of alumni functions I get to go to, right? But I go back and and I start talking to guys about. They say, oh, that analytics, it's all a bunch of crap. And I say, well, first of all, you got to narrow it down to which piece of analytics do you mean? Do you mean the defensive shifts? Do you mean the way that you approach sequencing? Do you mean spin rate and what the ball does? Do you mean launch angle and exit velocity? Are you just anti-numbers in general? You're just anti-numbers. Any number scares you, you right? <laughs> and, and it makes me crazy. It makes me crazy because it, it was see ball, hit ball, I'm good. Let's go get them. You know, and there's something to that, but at that level, guys are great enough athletes that they can do that. One of the most rewarding experiences that I've had in the two years that I've worked with Pitch Logic is uh, I got a call from an organization, and we had met with the analytics guys, and I got a call from one of their pitching coaches, and he said, we just don't seem to be on the same page. And I said, here's what you do. You guys go sit in the room in the stadium at your city. And I'll sit, you know, I can't be there, but I'll be on the phone and I'll be the marriage counselor. And we spent an hour and the analytics guy would throw something out. And I, I knew that the pitching coach was kind of shaking his head inside saying, I don't get that. I don't get it, but didn't really want to admit he didn't get it. And so I kind of translated a little bit. And about a half hour in, these guys started understanding each other and started realizing that they were talking about the same stuff using different terms. And they said, well, yeah, of course that is. And the other guy said, well, yeah, of course. 
Oh, it is the same. Oh, I get it. We're talking about the same thing. We're just talking about it differently. And it was beautiful. Yeah, what are we talking about? Are we talking about baseball right now? Yeah, you know, and, and so and so they've had a lot of success with it, you know, which is which has been great mm-hmm. to see. So that's that's a lot of fun to do. And and you know, being able to my decision came down to I can either, you know, I can either get on the bus or get run over by the bus. Because I saw it at Wake Forest University with Matt Hobbs, I saw exactly where baseball was going with the analytics and everything. You know, back in 15, 16, you yeah. could tell when they were starting to build their lab and Tom Walter was talking about what it was going to be about. And they're more into the movement. They're, you know, they're into all everything else, but they believe movement generates a lot. And then the results are the spin rates and everything else. And it's a combination of everything. Same as always, it's a combination of everything. But I said, I better start learning about this stuff or I'm not going to be a baseball lifer and be doing this 10 years from now when I want to be. <laughs> that was, yeah, I totally agree. Hey, so, so let me ask you this. You had a word for what that was. Yeah, no, that was, that was profound. That's the was, problem. You, you, you punched me in the stomach, right, with that one. Um, it makes me think about, you know, after all the conversations that we've had, you know, if you were to get the data, right, let's say, you know, you went out there knowing what you know now, where, where do you feel like you would find the value? Let's say your, your rookie year, right, and your, your older self's talking to your younger self. Where, yeah. where, are, you point, where are you pointing them at? Um, with me, it's, it's back to don't get outside yourself. Like we talked about, you know, don't try to do things that your delivery isn't capable of, because I think you can teach guys new things, but then I think you coach things out of guys too. And you try to do, make them do things that they're not capable of. And I worry that we're getting so data driven that we're doing everything for the number instead of for how to play the game. And I think that that's one of the reasons I'm not sure of the data, but I would bet that the average career length might be dropping a little bit because we're getting so many guys that come up and are able to do one or two things and flame out really quickly. And I could be totally wrong on that. No, you. I mean, we've already talked about it with Vance. Like Vance is unbelievable. And the fact that, you know, he's just not got people just banging down his door. It's, it's so telling of the times he's yeah. about 32. Like yeah. he's, it's unreal what he can do to a baseball. And so it's, it's obvious, you know, but it's also like John just said, I mean, how many hundred mile arms are there? You know, it's like, oh man. I, so another can of pitchers, you know, find me one that throws 95 and, and that's what we've got. And so the guys that stick around, are the guys that, that do the other things, that are the guys that back up third and save a run and that cover first and that, that do those little things. And most of all, to me, it's the guy that throws at 95 in a good spot when it counts. It's okay, yeah, you were 95, you were, you were 101 on 3-0 and in a six-run game with nobody on base in the eighth inning. And that's fantastic. You can forever hang your life on it. You were 92 down the middle with bases loaded in a one-run game in the seventh. When that was win or lose was right there. And you were 93 down the middle. So what good does that do you? Right. Yeah, and, and I'm thinking like, so with so you said something along the lines of, you know, there's there's something to if you, you can change movements and it can become better, but it's not better for that person. And, and so I think what happens is now that we realize that we can kind of manufacture velocity through movement, it's also not taking into consideration how long that takes too, for so many, so many reasons. Right. And so what you're seeing, I think is this, this information is really, really sexy to the 18 to 22 year old. Right. And that is where it's actually really, really hard to make those adjustments without completely transforming the way that you live your life. And 18 to 22 year olds are not really good at being disciplined and, you know, figuring out how to maximize their body. 
right? And so that's what th- that's kind of what happens is you have these kids who don't know how to maximize anything else in their life, and they're looking for that one thing, right? So to achieve more velocity, it has to be really holistic, right? Neurologically and phys- physiologically, like there's so many things that need to happen. Um, you know, and so if you try to develop these skills over a long period of time at a younger age, it's a lot easier to like, you can actually just train velocity from seven to 13. Yeah. Like that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Throw, it, it, you know, we've talked about that in a million podcasts, that's age appropriate. But the problem is, is that's not how they've been being taught and told. Right. So the conversations that we're having right now about pitching and like, yeah, that 93 doesn't do you any good. You're, you're we don't have 12 year olds throwing 93 except for the one guy that John saw. Right. But like, you know what I mean? Right. And so that conversation is, is, should be different. Oh my gosh, my dog. And, and, and that's where it's like, we got to just see the age appropriateness for this information too. Right. And understand what data is good for this age group, what kind of information, what is relevant. Right. Because it's just not fair to tell a 10 year old, to, to throw to throw strikes because it's the wrong message. Strikes will come for a different reason for that kid. You know what I mean? Who you facing, dude? Go get him. Like, go get him out. Don't think about if it's a perfect strike because that won't create the movement that requires that, right? Because they don't know how to manage those things where an adult can manage their emotions. So. And yet movement out of the strike zone is ineffective and does you no good either. So, again, it's got to be that blend. You know, in baseball, it's always got to be the combination of factors. You know, it's moderation in everything because they all have to work together. Again, wow, you know, you're you're 11 years old and you're throwing 72, and that's great. You threw 12 in a row to the backstop, but, man, your velocity was really good. That doesn't do you any good either. I heard a guy, and he was serious as a heart attack. He was a professional player. And he said, I firmly believe I can strike three guys out before I walk four. <laughs> and I don't understand that. <laughs> I don't understand how you program yourself to throw 26 okay. in a minute. It's like the lowest. Okay, so standard. so in all fairness, who's ever if the if the the ten year old, eleven year old is thrown seventy two to the backstop. Okay, I don't know that anybody's promoting that. So I, you know, and 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 if they are, right, it's because they don't understand movement and they're encouraging things that they don't understand, right? So like if I'm seeing seventy two to the backstop at eleven, I'm going like, okay, let the we got to do some some real different things here. And this is probably a lot of just like. What are you thinking about? Who are you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what's going on right now? Okay. You know I'm what saying, I mean? We know you can throw 72. Now let's figure out how we can make it effective at 70 totally. so that totally. you're getting it in play so that we can make use of what you do. Yes, yes. And and, and so and then the conversation is... Right. It just needs to be... It just The conversation has not been complete right we talked about either or here earlier right and that's that's what it is we keep on talking about this balance of ideas and it's simply that it it seems like there needs to be somebody policing this right there needs to be some sort of like national pitching association or major league baseball as the authority (laughs) and that's you know it's it's an interesting challenge there's no question about that we're gonna do nothing but get smarter about the whole process as time goes on and we're going to, and we're creating this, I don't know how much the body can take. I mean, is 110 feasible? Is, is that going to be done? How long until it's done? Will the arm follow after it? (laughs) As soon as you release it at 110, will it rip off of your shoulder and follow the ball halfway to home plate before your arm loses velocity and drops down to the ground? You know, who knows, but uh, it's an interesting debate. I just know that there's, there's so many advances that are useful out there that for old timers to denigrate the technology and the approach is silly. And there's so much value to be gained from experience. You know, I used to think experience was just another word for old age until I played with a guy that knew that if a certain guy threw a, his fastball into a certain hitter and he was going to pull it to his left, if he cheated a half of his step to his left, before the guy swung, he was going to have that extra half step that would let him get the ball, you know, and he could make that adjustment. So, again, it's that blend of old and new that, that you put together, and those are the guys that stick around. Now, I look at it from 
a major league level down because that's where I spent the majority of my time in, in my first half of, of my uh, experience on earth was around that kind of a level essentially. And so I make a lot of judgments based on that and going back to the grassroots and working with young guys has really been a lot of fun because if you can blend both and, and see that light bulb go off in their head a different way, that's, that's what's great is watching somebody young get it. You know, watching some yeah. some kid that's been scuffling that says, now oh, I get it, you know? I know, and, and, and I think that I, I'm so – I'm so um, – I really believe that it's the same thing. You know, I really think that as a professional coach – the need to have that childish play in it like that. I, I'm serious. There's, there's parts of that because that's the ability to see the person that you're, I mean, like what I do like, and I like that John says, it's like a lot of the Latin players do play and have a ton of fun. And so like, I only say that to like show that, but like, dude, Dustin Pedroia had a ton of fun, but yeah. he's psycho. You know what I mean? I'm talking yeah. like, you got to figure out how you're going to have fun. Yeah. And, and figure out, I mean, Gene, speaking of Gene Larkin, we we're talking off air. I mean, he, his biggest um, regret of playing was he's like, I just didn't, I didn't stop. Like I was tensed up the whole time. I was fighting for my life for all seven years. Yeah. It's like, I wish I would have just like enjoyed where I was at. And, and so that happens at every single level, right? It's like, Hey, the kid's coming in and he's having a bad day. And it's like, dude, what would you rather be doing than baseball right now? You know what I mean? Like, bring that attitude here and like what do we got to do to help that out and yeah, sh there's shameless plug here we were talking to dennis eckersley yesterday and and we talked about it at the end he said the one thing i wish i'd have done was enjoyed it more he said but every pitch i threw felt like that was going to win or lose a game and he said and i never got to stop and enjoy that because the next day i had to do it again you know and Suter, bruce Suter said to me one time uh, in 81 with the Cardinals, he said, he said, think about this pretty good chance. I'm going to throw the last pitch of the 1981 world series to win or lose. <laughs> Cause we thought we were going to be in the world series at that point in 82. He did. And in 82, he did, but think about that kind of pressure, you know, so you can't really step back and enjoy it. And I don't know. Somebody somebody says it how like the closer of the World Series champion had to end like fourteen seasons. It's some stupid like they had. I don't need, I, do you, Have you heard that, John? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking. About. I want to say it was uh, Craig Krimble is the one that we were talking about with the Red Sox one year or something like that when they went in, um, and and they were talking about that. And then I think they compared it to Mo, and then like Mo's ended. Um, I think you like his whole career. I think he's ended over like two hundred seasons or something crazy like that. You know, just go in there and just like, nope, here, you know. So yeah, that's, that's not really. Another thing, Cass, it's funny about that. I, I just thought of it. There's a kid with the Pirates. Uh, was enough for their first round draft pick a couple years ago out of Wake Forest, Will Craig, and uh, hits bombs. I mean, he he can smoke. He's playing first base in AAA for him now. But he was great. He was player of the year, college baseball. And he hits bombs. And he just loved playing the game. And it was, and I went up to him one day and I said, what do you think, man? He said, Hey, we get to play baseball. And I said, it's, it's like in uh, what is it? The rookie when, uh, when the rookie says, Hey Brooks, you know what we get to do today? We get to play baseball. You know, that's it. It's as simple as that. We get to go out there and, and do what we love to do and play baseball. There was the guy that was my first rookie league manager was a guy named Anton Anthony Roy, R-O-I-G. And he was a cross checker for the Brewers. And he was he promised me we'd never use you in relief in between starts. Uh, John, you were referring to what we did in college. I pitched back-to-back -back complete games a couple of times, consecutive days. Nine on Saturday, nine on Sunday in college. Crazy. That mission, Crazy. Right? And he said, don't worry, I promise you, you'll never do that with the Brewers because he was their cross check. <laughs> sure enough, five saves in uh, 13 appearances in six weeks. <laughs> yeah, hey, man, what about, what about you said, what you said before? <laughs> yeah, yeah, out the window if we got a chance to win because they still want me to win and build a winning culture. I get it. I'll do it. But I said to him one night, as he, I went to AA, I pitched the Hall of Fame game in Cooperstown, went seven against the Mets, and they sent me to AA the next day, right? 
And uh, so we might have gotten into some adult beverages as I was getting ready to go to double A. And I said, I remember you. I said, you were behind home plate at Northwestern in 1976, imitating my delivery. And it was I and I had a good day. And he said, yeah, he said, we hated your delivery. I said, I threw a one hitter. And he said, we hated your delivery. We loved the way you competed. And he said, we knew we could fix your delivery. He said, but you can't put that other thing in somebody's belly all the time and make them want that. And he said, we knew if we got the other stuff there that uh, that what you had inside was going to take you to wherever you're going to go. I, I, uh, do you do you know where I, I looked the other day, but I couldn't find any. Where, where do I watch you throw besides the All-Star game that was on TV? How do I find some footage I, of you there? I got VHS, VHS tapes. Do you have a converter? I'm sure. I'm sure I could find one. Amazon is amazing. <laughs> uh, check out the all-star game man it blew me away because i'm thinking all right you know here's garvey it's a little ground ball to short i must have really run that down and into him and it kind of went if it wasn't up with that why wasn't that ball crushed and yeah. then you make a good pitch you, you throw a nice slider down and away and the hitter goes <laughs> <"You know?" laughs> and something else it's it's just a silly game it really is a silly game did you, um, you know, with the, the amount of innings that you had there, did you feel like you developed uh, a sense of what the batter was thinking or doing? It, it's funny you say that because we were talking before, and I think that's one of the things that young hitter, young pitchers lose in this whole process too, is how does a hitter react to my fastball? How does he, you know, how does he react to my breaking ball? And maybe I've got it one day and, and using that ability to adjust based on what I've got that day, knowing how he reacts to what I've got. We're not cookie cutters, you know, and being able to read a hitter's swing, especially when you've got to face him, like I said earlier, in twice in 10 days. So you might have to face a guy. We might have had to face a guy nine at bats in the course of seven days or six days. You know, and you get to know a guy pretty well that way. I just found out the other day Fred Lynn had more home runs against me than anybody else. He had five bombs off me. and But I faced him 67 times. And I thought Rice was the toughest hitter I ever faced. Faced him 68 times. And he had four home runs off me. You know, so there are some guys that Rice you got out with fastballs in and sliders away. And I never got a fastball in and I never got a slider away. <laughs> now he's a bat right in the middle of it. Doing damn <sighs> Those those guys. I, I found it interesting what Dennis said yesterday too about like you remember the bad ones. Yeah. You know, and 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 I you know, I can go immediately to like top three worst home runs I've ever given up, you know, and just be like, Yep, remember that, remember this, remember that. And then it's more like, you know, best strikeout I'd ever had. And I'm like You know what's funny? This is this has been brought up a couple times. Oh, you know what? Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, um, I always think of me calling a home run. I, I like ended a season. Um, I, I called a two, one changeup and the kid gave up a walk off bomb. It wasn't good. And, uh, it's also, I hate, I, I literally took that job walking in saying like, I would rather not call pitches cause I'm, and I just couldn't win the fight. And, uh, it's sure fun to call pitches, but yeah, that's what I think of. And then I also think of the ones that go forever and, you know, Still haven't landed that whole thing. John, back back to uh, feel for swings and stuff. And my wife will tell you this. My wife keeps my uh, scorebook for me when I'm broadcasting games on the ACC. She's a saint. And because she's a huge fan. She's a bigger fan than I am, you know. Like our second date, we walked into a game. I was broadcasting the Winston-Salem Dash. And we walked in and she said, do they sell scorebooks here? And I said, why? She said, I like to keep score when I'm watching a baseball game. I said, well, you marry me, you know. But so like, <laughs> and and a guy will be partway into his bat at bat, and I'll look down at it and I'll go. And a pitch or two later, guy hits a bomb because you can feel it coming. You know, you can just you can feel all circumstances pointing to that direction. And and sometimes, man, when you know it, you remember the bad ones. Can I can I tell my Dave Parker story? I think you've heard this one, John. Yeah, go for Dave it. Dave Parker run. I'm in Montreal pitching for the Expos, and the Pirates come in, and Dave Parker, the Cobra, 6'5", 275, left hand, you know, comes up. And I'm thinking, okay, I don't want him hitting it up the middle. 
it's short to write. I want to. I don't want to go in too much. I'm going to stay away. Okay. So it takes strike one, sinker away. Good. Swings through strike two, out away. All right, I'm good. I'm going to try this one more time. Yachtow, right? Kills it. Straight away center field. So in Montreal at the time, in the old Coliseum, it was the Olympic field that they had. At the time, it was a circle. It had a, cir- had a track around the outside. It's where they had the Olympics, Olympic Stadium. So the in left field was where the Montreal bullpen sat, and you had a plexiglass window with a little trailer, porta trailer. So I get back in after I get out of the inning and I come in and the phone's ringing and Buck Rogers is our manager and he answers the phone and he says, Larry, it's for you. And I'm thinking, uh Oh, one of my kids, something's wrong with my kids. starting pitcher never gets a phone call. So I go over, I said, what, what, what is it? And it was our bullpen coach, Ken Maka. And he said, Larry, just thought you might want to know. He said that ball Parker hit was in the air so long I had time to get out of the penalty box and go see where it landed, and I walked it off for you. It was 480, man. That ball went 480 feet. And I'm thinking, like, I got to go back out and pitch again. <laughs> the distance. I went, thanks. Thanks for the information. I appreciate that. You know, that's that such a baseball story. The now they put them on the scoreboard. Yeah, that, that's such a good baseball story because there's always, like, you know, that helps as much as it hurts. You know what I mean? Because it's such a good distraction where you got. It made me laugh. I think I got out the next inning. I don't it, really remember. It makes, yeah. It, it's very similar to the whole Kevin Costner, uh, Nuclear Louche, you know, where he's like, damn, he, he hit it like he knew it was coming. He did. Yeah, he did. I told him. He did. He, he scrambled it, you know? Well, I love that movie because we did some of that movie. Back to John Felsky. We were in Arizona in 70. So, like, I threw. I threw 240 innings in 77, 140 in the big leagues. And they sent me to Venezuela to pitch. Okay. They sent me to winter ball so I could get some experience in Venezuela. Yeah. uh, But the year before I'd gone from Michigan and I threw over a hundred innings in Michigan to the minor leagues. And we talked about Newark. And then I went six weeks in double a after going six and two with five saves as a starter in Newark, I went to double A and threw another 70 some innings. And then they sent me to instructional ball. So now it's like end of October. I'm in Arizona, didn't want to. Uh, and I was supposed to have the last start of instructional ball in like early November. And I didn't want to do it. So we went out, got hammered, and came back to Tempe Diablo Stadium. And I laid a hose on home plate and turned that sucker on. We went back. <laughs> Are for about four more hours at its suns at in Arizona in, in Tempe Sun Devils man Arizona State University twenty one years old playing professional baseball good times right <laughs> we go back about two thirty after last call and I got to go turn the hose off and move it so I go out and and I take the hose off we turn it off I go roll it back up. We go to the ballpark the next day, and John Felsky, my manager from AAA, was our instructional ball manager. And he goes out, and the mud's this deep at home plate, and it tapers off all the way up to the first baseline. And he said, we can't play. There's too much mud at home plate. And there's Adidas footprints all over the place. And he's standing there looking at the mud, and he happens to look over, and he takes a double look, and I'm standing there in a pair of Adidas shoes with mud halfway up the side, you know, because I'd laid the hose on home plate. And he says, I guess we're not playing today, Larry. You want to go home? I said, yeah, man. He said, go ahead. <laughs> I drove from Scottsdale, Arizona to, Era, to uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan without stopping that night. <laughs> wow. That's hilarious. That's anyway, a good story. That's a great story. Um, you rain out, I can get you a rain out. <laughs> exactly. That's a, that, I, that movie's got to stay alive. You know, I, I hope they don't reboot it and ruin it, but you never know. Uh, well, listen, it, it's it's been an hour. I don't want to eat up too much of your time. We, this has been really good. Um, you know, I just want to touch on a little bit more of the pitch logic stuff. I, I you know, we, a lot of really, really good content been coming out of them. They've been putting out such amazing stuff. It seems like there's a lot of um, major league organizations that seem to be using the ball as, as well as players. Um, who? What, what, what do you really like about the pitch logic ball right now? And, and maybe just, you know, end it with, with something like that and where things are going with the company and, and what we're seeing. Well, we've got some advanced stuff that's going to be coming out very shortly that the major league guys are going to be all over. You know, it's high tech. It's really high level. It's really breaking it down. 
And, and that'll get the major league teams all interested. And, and our philosophy was once we get the credibility with the major league teams, it's going to filter on down to the younger ages. And what I really like about it, John, is the fact that the major league guys can take, there's 31 different metrics that come out of it at the advanced level. There's 12 that are on the app that's free to everybody, no subscription fee. You buy the baseball, you get everything you need, the 12 metrics for the, for the 11-year-old that wants to go out there. And it gets him velocity, yes, but it shows his arm slot and it shows how he's releasing the ball and it shows the spin rates and you can learn and set a baseline and then creep up and learn more as you go up. And Cass, you talked about age-appropriate learning and age-appropriate information. And I think that one of the things that Pitch Logic does really well is it affords you as much information as you need at every level that you play at. And so that by the time you get to those top levels, the colleges and the pro levels, you're going to be ready for the advanced stuff. And as time goes on, you know, that'll all start filtering down and we'll come up with something new that's even beyond what we're looking at next. It'll never stop. We'll never stop learning. You know, we, we talk through these telephones and we have all this communication. And I read someplace once that there's more technology and computing power in, a tele, in an iPhone now than there was in the lunar module that we put on the moon. You know, and when you think about that and how routinely we use all that, you know that there's no limit to where we're going to be going with this other stuff. So I think the future is really exciting. I think that people are going to get smarter about it. I think that the people that are inventing it and working with it are going to get smarter about it. And I think there's no end to the ways that it can be used. It can be used as a as a tool that you measure with. It can be tool used as a tool for development. It can be used as a tool for rehab. It can be to, used as a tool for discovery. You know, it can be used so many different ways within just one group of people and one organization that I think that uh, that's exciting stuff. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I, t I totally agree. I can't wait to see, you know, how things are going, especially with Major League Baseball kicking back up. You know, allegedly, hopefully every, everybody stays safe and, and we can actually continue with this. Um, yeah, for sure. But that being said, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just so interesting to see, how, you know, how the ball is being used. So um, I'm excited. Uh, I really appreciate it, Larry. You're the best. Um, thanks for all the stories. Thanks for all the back-to-back double-header stories. Um, you know, and, and everything, and and you'll get tired of them. Yeah, <laughs> it's all good. So, guys, <clears throat> appreciate it. Um, Larry's a little bit on social media. He's a broadcaster for Wake Forest uh, uh, University, um, and he's all over the place. So, if anybody has a question for him, I'm sure you could probably DM him on Instagram. Um, I'll put his uh, Instagram in the description below. So, Larry, appreciate it again. Thanks. Nice um, talking to you guys. Keep yeah, definitely. Definitely. We will do. We'll do. Thanks. Uh, guys, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, smash that like button. Sounds good. Thank you.